0: First in our Bill of Rights is the freedom to hear uncensored ideas and opinions, to think your own thoughts, and to say what's on your mind. We couldn't have liberty without it. Now, more than ever, it's good to spout off, to listen, debate, and participate. Here's your host of Spouting Off, commentator, columnist, and all-around rabble-rouser, Karen Cataline.
1: Well, welcome everyone to another edition of Spouting Off. I'm so glad to have you along with us. No matter where you're listening from, be it Nashua, New Hampshire, or all around the country, either live or on podcast, we aim to exercise our First Amendment rights and we encourage you to do the same. Um, Not just the letter of the First Amendment, but the spirit of it as well. The spirit of it, as we know, and that's why it bears repeating, is that dissent, debate, discussion, and individual thought and ideas are not dangerous. Uh, Censoring dissent is dangerous. So welcome to... Some of the most consequential, unprecedented times in our lifetime in which pretty much every principle on which America has been founded and which we hold dear is under attack. Let's just be real. And those who do not see that these principles are under attack, namely, you know, just as one that is uh, something that I hold dear, I hold them all dear. I hold the the, uh, Bill of Rights dear, designed to constrain government power, not build and uh, crush citizens with government power. Uh, But these are most consequential times, I personally never ever thought I would live to see some of the things I'm seeing in this country today. Uh, the uh, deception and the propaganda. And you know what? It is up to each and every one of us to keep their own counsel and decide for themselves. Yes, I I deal in commentary and I love to express my opinion, to debate, to argue. It's in my genes because I'm Jewish. I put the Judeo and Judeo-Christian. Yes, all of that is true. But the idea of living and let living, that uh, everyone has a right, no matter how ridiculous, no matter how preposterous you think their ideas are, Their ideas are not dangerous until or unless they act upon them. Right now, the propaganda is saying that ideas, thoughts, words are dangerous, but actions are not. That's not reality, ladies and gentlemen. So let me tell you what's on my mind in this first segment, if you'd like to call in and And you're listening live out of Nashua, New Hampshire, the Live Free or Die State. Uh, You can always call in Tuesdays or Thursdays at 1 p.m., especially in our first segment, although we change it up occasionally just to see if you're watching. Um, The number is 603-816-1590. I don't say that number too often, but I love to hear from you either by telephone or you can write me at Karen at KarenCataline.com with that little and sign, Karen, at com. So here is what uh, is on my mind today, and that is I compiled a couple of stories that I was watching. I mean, I get a bunch of news, more news than I can possibly digest. I mean, I, I need to take time out to spend time with my beloved husband and many, many other things along the way. I bet you're like that too. Sometimes you have to really pick and choose the new stories that you spend time on. And of course, it's like drinking from a fire hose. But I compiled a couple of stories that I entitled in my show notes, Little Stories with Big Consequences little stories with big consequences. So much is going on crime, the border, the inflation, and we talk about all those things, and then some. But look at the little stories that I think about and I say, wow, very consequential. Now, uh, I am kind of a dilettante when it comes to baseball and sports in general. I like watching some sports with my husband. My husband is not a a sports fanatic by any means, but he's taught me to appreciate uh, football. And I've been utterly fascinated because I used to live in New York at one time. Uh, The Aaron Judge story, Aaron Judge now has has, uh, completely surpassed the one season home run record in the Major League Baseball. He hit his 62nd home run. And boy, it's fun to watch him, watch him smile, watch him uh, be celebrated, because that's a huge, huge milestone and a record. And Aaron Judge seems to me to be a pretty decent guy. Obviously, you never know when someone is in the public eye. But what did I do? I I decided to look and dig a little deeper about Aaron, Ju- Aaron Judge, the man, never mind the fact that he's like 6'7 or 6'8. I mean, he's huge, has an enormous amount of power, very impressive baseball talent. But I decided, because I like to do that, I want to see something about him as a person. Well, I had to dig. I had to dig, dig, dig for anything on Aaron Judge because what no one wants to mention, what no one in the propaganda media is mentioning is that Aaron Judge, and you you could probably tell this, is biracial. His parents are white. He's adopted. I didn't know these things. What do I know until I read, right? And he's a Christian. Some racist country we have where... Aaron Judge dedicated his tying ball, somebody kind enough to give back a ball that could, his 61st ball, that could have brought, I don't know, a half a million dollars or whatever it would bring. And they gave it to Aaron Judge. And what did Aaron Judge do? He gave it to his mother. And and his parents have supported him every step of the way. They adopted him when he was but a tyke, but a baby. And they have done nothing but support him. This defies this collectivist broad, um, uh, in, not in, in inclination, but this, <laughs> I'm losing my word here. This defies the indictment of an entire country as racist, as hateful, as white supremacist, Oh, by the way, to divide human beings, to take away individual personal choice and responsibility, to criminalize thoughts, and to use anti-racism ideology in order to be racist against your political enemies. Did you follow all that? Okay. But the story of Aaron Judge is not only um, uh, educational and instructive, but it defies... All of the framing, the poison, the propaganda left media is putting out into the ether to divide us all. Um, Never mind the fact, you know, this country elected and reelected a black president, and that's when they went on steroids to call the country racist. You know why? Because the facts don't matter. Reality doesn't matter. Not when you're trying to impose Marxism, socialism, and globalism on a country and to get it to commit suicide. But back to Aaron Judge. So here's an article. Aaron Judge credits his parents for his successful career in baseball. Don't you love it? And there are a lot of sports figures. In, in fact, my, uh, my home state, where I no longer live, uh, D- uh, Denver, Colorado, is my home state. Denver, where I was born, now has Russell Wilson, another uh, athlete who defies all the stereotypes about football players and others being thuggish and, you know, engaging in um, <laughs> dog fighting, as one did. Uh, people are individuals, and it is good, important, and essential to view them as an individual. Judge them on their merits and on their actions rather than superficial uh, characteristics as to what color or hue is their skin. But the radical left is trying to destroy those kinds of principles and instruct us in mass collective hatred for anyone they disagree with. This is instructive and it's valuable it's a little story with really big consequences okay so let me tell you another one that i just loved it it does happen to be about the race issue but another highly instructive story that i have to say i just loved instructive why because it it holds the left accountable for their complete psychotic notions of reality. It uses their own tactics against them, and it exposes them for the frauds they are, because people who jump on the bandwagon of this collective bigotry, trying to sow hatred and discontent among citizens for their own agenda, or because they just are very, very prone to social pressure, which people who are you know, on the left are, uh, maybe more prone to social pressure. Again, that is a generalization. But here's the story. Candace Owens, who I've always loved, who I interviewed when she was, nobody knew who she was. Now she's a star. Now she's somebody that constantly tweaks the nose of the left. She's gutsy, she's courageous, and she just happens to be black, and she's been called racist numerous times. Now, if Candace Owens is black, then what – What? How is it significant to call Donald Trump racist, the country racist, everybody's racist? If Candace Owens is racist, you know, then then of course we all are, and uh, we are decent because we're offended by such by such uh, uh, hurling of of um, invectives. All right, but Candace Owens got together with the artist formerly known as Kanye West. (laughs) And Kanye West uh, now wants to be known as, this reminds me of the artist formerly known as Prince. Kanye West now wants to be known as Yay. okay? Like Yay, though I walk through the valley of darkness, et cetera, et cetera. But Y-E-Y, now I'm not real big into rap, I admit it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's called having musical diverse tastes, right? I mean, I like Beethoven and Chopin. But Kanye West uh, uh, and Candace Owens both walked into uh, a big event with T-shirts that said, White Lives Matter, <laughs> and you know what? People have been beaten down so badly for so long, people are appalled. White people are appalled by those shirts. But Candace Owens and Yay West can get away with it because they happen to be black. Guess what? We all should be wearing those shirts. We all should be wearing all people's lives matter. And the left went bonkers. They went nuts. They got triggered like, how dare you say, white lives matter. Now, think about that rationally and carefully. What does it mean that the left is so angry that someone would wear a shirt, black, white, or any other color, Uh, not the shirt white, but the, (laughs) the person wearing the shirt, what does it say about them that, the left would be angry that someone wore a shirt that said White Lives Matter. And you know what? They, the left, the radical, thoughtless, racist, bigoted left, will justify this, that this is somehow a usurpation of the slogan Black Lives Matter. See, because it exposes the fact that Black Lives Matter, the slogan and the group, really mean that other lives don't matter as much. You know what? We're human beings. The basic fundamental principle of people being judged by their character and not by the color of their skin, thank you, Martin Luther King, is a good and decent principle and is as common sense as there ever was. So go out there. The shirts uh, sold out in a matter of minutes, hours, Go out, get yourself a shirt. White lives matter. All lives matter. Yes, indeed. Human life matters. We're going to be right back. When we come back, we're going to have a super guest. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Spouting Off. This is Karen Cataline.
0: You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest-growing companies in America. Over the last 12 years, you've helped MyPillow create thousands of jobs right here in the USA. Every MyPillow is made with passion here in my home state of Minnesota to ensure you get the best sleep of your life.
1: One of the things that I really like about MyPillow is the support. It gives my neck a little hug. I've
0: never slept better in my life.
2: What's better than a great night's sleep?
0: Call or go online to take advantage of my best off forever for a limited time. When you use your promo code, you can get premium my pillows regularly $69.98, now only $2998. With our 60-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. Sleep Well America! Call one eight hundred eight six
1: seven zero four one six 867 416 and use the promo code RAM. R-A-M. That's one eight hundred eight six seven zero four one six 867 416 and
0: use the promo code RAM. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, it my pillow. You must read The Secret War. It's free. Thanks, Pat.
3: Call now, toll-free, 883 866-883-2741. That's 866 883
0: Truth is, I believe the government's new war against cash is really a war against us all. But The Secret is now out. So please, get and read The Secret War.
3: Call now, toll-free, that's 866 883
0: And now, more Spouting Off with Karen Cataline.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Spouting Off. Such a good, good opportunity to talk to you, to reason together and to extol the virtues of um, uh, freedom of speech and uh, fundamental first principles. My first guest this hour is someone who extols the virtues of one of my favorite professions because my husband is a truck driver. He teaches CDL. He's a a commercial driver's license trainer who's got 5 million miles under his belt and then some. And our next guest is co-owner and vice president of JKC Trucking. He's spent his entire career of nearly 30 years uh, in the trucking industry. And finally, truckers are no longer uh, invisible as they once were. And Mike Kucharski joins us here on Spouting Off. Welcome, Mike.
2: Karen, thank you for having me on your show again.
1: I love talking to you. And you know more than anybody or, you know, firsthand close up about uh, something that a lot of people are very, very frightened about. Maybe we can get to what we can do about it, but a lot of people are worried about possible food shortages coming up, possibly the first of the year or maybe even uh, sooner. Uh, what can you tell about, us about that? Is, is there truth to it? And let's, let's uh, drill down and see if we can understand it a little better.
2: Yeah, Karen, what, what's happening is, you know, what we're seeing now is a massive domino effect. And I, I talked about this from, from day one of, of the COVID shutdowns. Our food supply chain was was fragile to begin with pre-COVID, before COVID, before we shut down, you know, and when when America shut down or when the world shut down, we crushed the food supply chain. You know, we, we produce a lot of p- products here in the US, but we get a lot of ingredients parts from other countries, you know. And then since then, you know, as soon as we see an incline in the supply chain, it, it collapses it collapses on itself. It's up and down, it's been an up and down roller coaster since. You know and people are asking hey what is what's causing these cause of these rising food prices and i always say look number one uh fuel rates skyrocketing diesel refinery uh capacity the war ukraine's not helping i believe yesterday i read opec is cutting uh production Uh, to the transportation labor rates you know are skyrocketing transportation costs are are definitely fueling the higher prices And, and the third i would say a lot of people don't see is the the rising costs in the labor of food production. You know, we're we're seeing labor shortages, uh, and, and and all of this, you know, is, is causing the spiral that that is causing food prices to to go up in inflation. You know, these 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 costly increases are passed down to the price Americans pay for groceries.
1: Yeah, Mike, um, would you back up a little for those of us who are not in the business, and I'm not. Just because I'm married to a trucker doesn't mean I understand, you know, food supply chain kind of things. You mentioned, um, although I'm learning along with everybody else, you mentioned that our food supply chain was fragile to begin with. Um, Explain how that is. You know, a lot of us thought, boy, it was secure because we didn't have these kind of empty shelves and they're out of something. It takes, you know, five times longer to get anything than you used to get. Tell us how it was fragile to begin with.
2: So, um, excellent question. And when these food producers were making this food, they would make enough product just to have, you know, just in time. The, the safety stocks that we had were always, uh, you know, razor razor thin. So they were just producing enough to just to get the product out. And when we shut down and all that came every we started buying the, mm. the, the 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 paper thin uh, backup stock that we had was completely depleted right away and after depleting that you know to get everything rolling again uh, and rebuilding the safety stock you know it was it was mission impossible and we I, I believe we're we're still not
1: there two years later mm. Mm. Well, and a lot of people wonder, since so many people feel under attack in other ways, that some of this is uh, deliberate. I I I don't want to go there because we'll never come back from that uh, speculation. But you mentioned that OPEC was cutting back its um, production at the same time I heard on the news that uh, the current president is draining our oil reserves even further And that is why gas prices are temporarily low, but God forbid, after the election, they could skyrocket. Talk about that and how it's going to affect the trucking industry and the food supply
2: chain. Yeah, so that's a great question. Also, I believe the the president is using the reserves to lower the price, and this is just a temporary fix. You know, we have, uh, with this fuel situation, we we, we have a bullet war. And he's just slapping a Band-Aid on this bullet wound. It, it helps, but it doesn't stop the bleeding. And you're right. After you know some time, our, the, the prices are still going to go up. And uh, they're going to go up probably further than, than, than they have because now we don't have – you know, we, we didn't do nothing to fix the problem. We, we, we depleted our reserves. I, I think he's just pouring gasoline on the fire that's already yeah. burning.
1: It's going to be only worse. There's a pun, pouring gasoline on the fire and there's a shortage of it. Not a shortage of it, but it's getting more expensive. You cannot look at this issue in a vacuum when we have globalist others and the climate hysteria that says that none of us should be driving individual vehicles at all. Uh, Would you be willing to talk about that? Because they are related, are they not?
2: So, you know, that's like a economy, po- political kind of thing. That's not my <laughs> uh, specialty, but, you know, what. If hey, they, tying your they, shoes if, today
1: is political, so. You know? Yeah,
2: yeah. So <laughs> even even if they stop everybody from driving their cars, you know what I mean? That's going to be only, well, I'm curious. Which would what be tyranny.
1: Do? <laughs> Just tyranny, as yeah. an aside, that would be tyranny, you know. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, are they, they going to hand out bicycles to everybody and be like, "Here, here's your bicycle"?
1: <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> no, when you stop anybody from exercising their personal liberties, which is what automobiles symbolize for people. But let's get back to the supply chain because it's trucks that bring supplies to the shelves of our grocery store. Some people don't realize that. They think it just sort of magically appears, but everything we have comes by truck. So go ahead and I'll let you uh, talk about that. Correct. One
2: one thing that this pandemic showed the American public is, I mean, I'm sure a lot of Americans knew that everything's moved by trucks, but they just assumed that the, the, the foods at the grocery store moved from the back room onto the shelves and they found out very quickly. And that's not the case that the truck drivers, everything's trucked here in America. I believe about 70% of all goods are, are trucked in, in America. You know, uh, they're saying, oh, put it on the, on the train. You know, the train is being used, but it's not gonna cure the, the you know, it's not gonna be the cure to cancer of, of the, the food supply chain. And with all these truck drivers that we have, we, we before pre-COVID, we've had a depleting supply. And it was always a problem on the front, you know, and uh, I think the last calculation I checked, it was about 80,000 drivers were short. Uh, right now, it doesn't sound like that big of a number, but what a lot of people don't understand is that the population of these truck drivers are older generation. Most, uh, I want to say like over 40% or yes, over yeah. 48 truckers. years old. I, yeah, right. truckers. And then I want to say over like 20% are like 55 mm. and older. It's a big yes. percentage. So mm-hmm. in the near future, when all these truck drivers retire, or can't drive no more, you know, I mean, what are we going to do? That's going to be the question. You know, we're bringing new blood in, but like I said earlier, you know, it's just a bandage and a bullet wound. You know, the real problem is going to be in the, in the near future.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, we noticed, my husband notices as a, um, a trainer, of CDL drivers that now, because there aren't enough truckers and there's a trucker shortage, uh, that 18-year-olds are now getting their CDL licenses. Would you like to comment about that and how that may or may not affect the rest of us?
2: I'm I'm glad the government is doing this because before before Solder... They're dabbling with this, bringing a younger generation truck driver into the market, which, which I think is it, it should have been done years ago. Before you had to be 21 years old, go to truck driving school. They wanted a, a mature person. But how about this? Uh, that's not an option anymore. So you have to lower the driving age to get mm-hmm. these drivers out there. And then you know, you're, I'm, I'm glad your husband's a trainer because after you train this mm-hmm. person and and you show them how to do it. You become a real, true truck driver, you have to get out there and, and deal with all the issues. They have to learn so much. I, I tell everybody that, and that starts being a truck driver, I go, listen, you're not going to feel like a real truck driver until a year to three years. After three years, you should be an expert because you've almost seen every kind of scenario. You've driven to the snow, to the rain, to the good, to the bad, to the ugly. Uh, and, and you learned a lot. It's always a constantly learning a thing. So it's not like we could just, you know, pops of the new generation in front of a screen and said, look, watch these videos, ride this simulator, congratulations, you're a truck driver. You know, it's a lot more complicated than, than, than that, and mm. and that's going to be the issue.
1: He does, Mike, my, my husband does tell them exactly that, that we're only uh, uh, teaching you that which you need to know to to get your CDL license, and then your real training begins when you're on the road. Um, Let's go back in our last couple of minutes here with Mike Kucharski to talk about what you think we need to do to fix this coming problem with the food supply chain. It is very serious for all of us. What, What might be some of your recommendations and what we need to do
2: no, we we need we need a call to action. You know, number one, I would say if I was in charge, we need to get these fuel costs under control. Uh, America needs to become energy dependent again. To start, you know, as I mentioned, we are no longer near what we used to be pre-COVID. This administration, I don't care if it's red, blue, or yellow, this administration needs to get more involved with fixing this food supply chain, the issues, the rising cost of inflation. And by what's happening right now, currently, I don't see any data for this inflation slowing down in 2022 or 2023. I don't know when it's going to. When it, when, it, when it, it might this might happen for the next ten years if it continues this way. Hopefully, it does not.
1: Yeah. Well, um, we talk all the time uh, on this program uh, about some of the causes of inflation, now I'm not an economist, but it doesn't take an economist to recognize that when you spend trillions upon trillions of dollars and you print money like it's going out of style because you're the only ones who can, that uh, your buying power uh, goes down. It is known as the cruelest tax there is, inflation, because it affects everyone, but it especially affects the lowest income people. In the pitch uh, that I got from your rep, it says, a Rasmussen Reports poll in August found that a startling 63% of Americans had changed their eating habits, showing that the inflation is so astronomical that it is impacting most of the American population. That is a fact and sadly it could get worse. Any final thoughts or recommendations for people since we aren't in charge <laughs> and we can't we don't have the kind of power we wish we did, just as individual citizens to restore America to I don't know, some kind of sanity. What what kind of recommendations might you make to individuals?
2: No, and, and, and as you mentioned before, you know, you don't have to be an economist. All you have to be is, is a consumer, a consumer, and, and pay attention to what's happening in the country, and, and what's happening is, is, is not right. We need to fix this, and the only way to fix this is that we got to make sure that when we choose our next leaders, that we choose leaders that care about, you know, the entirety, the, the, the lower class, the upper class, the, the whole spectrum so we learn from our mistakes we don't end up in this in this black hole that we're currently in right now we went from yeah. covid to inflation and how much worse is it going to get i don't yeah. know
1: i hate to say but when when you cross the rubicon from recognizing thinking that something is incompetent to thinking something is deliberate you have to rethink uh, the whole idea that you're giving the benefit of the doubt to people who might be doing some of these things on purpose for their own political benefit mike kucharski where can people find you follow you and read more about you
2: yeah if anybody's looking for a change of a career or wants to know more about jkc jkctrucking.com or if you're looking for a job uh, jobs at jkctrucking.com we would love to to hear from you guys
1: Okay, make sure that it's uh, it's clear jtctrucking.com, correct?
2: No, j jkc, jkc.
1: JKC, got to run. Yes. Thank you, Mike Kucharski. This is Spouting Off. I'm Karen Cataline. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline.
3: I was asking God through prayer seeking a good news source. I believe he showed me the Epic Times. I deliver the mail and came across an issue. The front page intrigued me and I subscribed. Now I cut out articles and give them to friends and family. I leave old issues at the library and around my community. We read it to our kids and love the positive messages in each article. So why do I think everyone should read the Epic Times? Because they're bringing
1: back traditional values to this great country. Hi, it's Karen Cataline. It's been almost a decade since I wrote Fat Lash Food Police in the Fear of Thin. It's about my early experiences in child beauty pageants and being put on extreme diets. Remember when that was shocking? Sadly, that seems like child's play compared to what we are watching today when politicians and woke corporations are actually advocating for the sexualization of children. Everyone's children. We're watching a frontal attack on childhood innocence. This is one story, my story. Fat Lash illustrates and explains why good boundaries are essential for kids to grow up healthy. They need their parents to set them, not the government. Get Fat Lash today. It's available in paperback or ebook at Amazon or at my website, KarenCataline.com.
0: And now, more Spouting Off with Karen Cataline.
1: Welcome everybody. Welcome back to Spouting Off. Oh my, it is such a pleasure to be able to do what I love. Uh and talk to you about a variety of issues. We have an author here ready to join us. His name is William Doyle. He is a New York Times bestselling, award-winning author and TV producer based in New York City. He has written or co-written seven books, including PT-109, An American Epic of War, Survival, and the Destiny of John F. Kennedy, and... American Gun, A History of the U.S. in Ten Firearms, with American sniper Chris Kyle, whom you know, who many of us know and watched the astonishing film. He served, William Doyle did, that is, as director of original programming for HBO, was co-producer of the PBS special Navy SEALs, Their Untold Story. Welcome, William Doyle, to Spouting Off. Good to have you.
3: Hello, Karen. It's great to be with you. Thank you.
1: It's good to have you, too. The other thing is you've got a new book, which is so interesting. I just sort of covered this issue a little bit, and I can't wait to talk to you about it. Uh, A book that you just authored called Titan of the Senate, Orrin Hatch, and the Once and Future Golden Age of Bipartisanship. Tell us about this book and why you decided to write it.
3: I uh, grew up in New York City, and I... Went to college in Washington D.C. because I was a politics buff at age 14, 15, 16, and I dreamed, I dreamed of working in the halls of Congress. I thought that'd be the coolest thing a boy could do. So I, I, got, I did that actually, and I was a uh, intern, lowliest of the low intern, uh, for New York Senator James Buckley, Bill Buckley's brother who actually was uh, so conservative, he wasn't a Republican. He was a capital C conservative. That was uh, the only uh, conservative capital C in the history of the U.S. Senate. And uh, he had one term and was a very principled and, I think, courageous uh, senator. And that got me hooked on the history of the Senate, which I always kind of stayed interested in. And then I went to HBO and I... Um, became uh, their director of original programming and worked on many different kinds of TV shows and then I produced shows for PBS and the History Channel, largely on American history. I keep coming back to American history because I think it's uh, like a great adventure story or action movie or you know detective story all in one. And uh, I was amazed one day when I read that Aaron Hatch of all people, this sort of elderly, Presence on the Sunday morning talk shows, who I never really paid an inordinate amount of attention to, other than remembering him with the Clarence Thomas hearings back in 1991, that this man became the longest serving Republican senator in history, 42 years in office, and a very, as you know, a very, very conservative senator. But he also passed more legislation than any other modern senators uh, in the post-Vietnam, post-Watergate era. And I thought, wait a minute. How on earth are you so conservative, but you pass more legislation than anybody else, including number two, Ted Kennedy? And that paradox I really wanted to delve into because it seemed like a great way to take a grand tour of American history and to revisit my early – experience in the Senate and, and follow it through today, because, you know, the Senate is, has so much influence on our lives, and it's an amazing uh, than building and cast of <laughs> characters. Uh,
1: William, <laughs> let me ask you real quickly before you continue about whether or not this view, it's sort of like publish or perish, you know, you got to publish, publish, publish to make it in academia, whenever, that the idea of passing legislation, passing legislation, which to any conservative, you don't have to be a capital C conservative, sometimes means growing government. So is it, kind of a, a preconceived notion that it's good to pass legislation? I mean, even if it's bad legislation, is passing a lot of legislation always a good thing?
3: Excellent question. You can look at it a couple of ways. One way is if Arn Hatch had not shaped much of these 800 federal laws that he sponsored or co-sponsored, the laws themselves would have been much more... Bureaucrat-heavy, bureaucrat, uh, bureaucrat um, entitlement-heavy, and in some, are, in some ways are looking at it more inefficient. And I'll give you a great example of that in, in a minute. But you're right. You, um, effectiveness as a senator should also include stopping things you don't think are in the nation's best interest. And Orrin mm-hmm. Hatch did the greatest example of that, I would argue, in the modern age.
1: Oh, in a do, long do tell.
3: yeah. <laughs> Now, this is a long forgotten uh, – it was like a shootout on the Senate floor uh, debate-wise, an incredible moment where in 1978, Jimmy Carter and the AFL-CIO and, believe it or not, half of big business and all of the Democratic Party virtually and many, many Republicans supported a bill that would have given unions in America significantly more – Power. Now, Orrin Hatch saw this, and a handful of other Republicans saw this, and they said, My goodness, if this gets passed, the Republican Party, which then was a wounded uh, creature, very wounded after, you know, Dick Nixon and Jerry Ford, uh, it was, it, some people thought it was going to die. Now, interestingly, what was actually happening was the nation was coming around toward the right, and Ronald Reagan wrote that for eight years in his presidency, but it was perceived as dying. And Arne Hatch, in his first year as senator, out of 42 years, he said, if this thing gets passed, the Republican Party will die, and the two-party system will die, and unions have enough power, by the way, because I, Arne Hatch, uh, who grew up in virtually poverty in Pittsburgh and became a union worker for six years as a young man, uh, unions have enough power under the Franklin Roosevelt-era Wagner Act. They have a, a you know na- National Labor Relations Board. They have due process. They have protections. They don't need more. And we don't need to kill the Republican Party. So he said, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to stand up and filibuster this uh, through repeated votes until I can kill it and he did. It was like a, a David versus Goliath, completely unexpected outcome. Suddenly, he has the, the credibility as a conservative uh, in, in his second year to be thought of as a presidential candidate. And he suddenly had the the gravitas inside the conservative and Republican worlds to then do things in the 1980s and 90s that were sometimes – very bipartisan, and I, my book is really the story of four bipartisan uh, achievements he did often with Ted Kennedy, and what he did is he would take Ted Kennedy ideas that he thought were uh, well, very well intentioned, and we can talk about that in a second, but he would bring it sort of to the middle and beyond anything Ted Kennedy thought, and a great example of that is children's health insurance, which we can talk about in a sec, if you like.
1: Well, since we don't have too much time, but we certainly have a t- enough time to get into this, I would like to maybe fast forward to today, and I will give you my, preconce- uh, my some of my biases in asking the question because I'm of the opinion, and I, I, I want to get your thoughts on this, that the Democrat Party of today, which I believe is controlled by the radical left, has no interest in bipartisanship. They have an interest in coercion, the use of force, and bullying their opponents into silence, and even uh, censoring and shutting down their opponents, et cetera, et cetera. I talk about this all the time. I'd like to get your thoughts. Sometimes bipartisanship ends up meaning you compromise and give up all of your principles for The other side that gives up none of theirs. Your thoughts on that as it relates to today in your book?
3: Well, uh, bipartisanship is a paradox, also, in my opinion, because it can be a, a terrible idea. The Vietnam War was a strongly bipartisan disaster. The Iraq and Afghanistan interventions. Uh, including the end of the Iraq war were thoroughly bipartisan disasters in my opinion now the you know the the final exit exit from Afghanistan was botched terribly by the current administration, but the thrust and momentum of the disengagement was uh put forward by a previous administration but in in the end, everybody screwed up that 's the quote that a state department official uh that was his final verdict on Afghanistan, and I think I agree with that. Um, uh, Federal aid to childhood education for 20 years, which was, you know, no child left behind. That was a Ted Kennedy, George W. Bush idea. Total waste of money, total failure by any metric. So
1: agreed. But
3: but (laughs) but 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 bipartisanship can achieve our greatest moments. Uh, Republican support for Truman in NATO and the Marshall Plan. Republican and Democratic support for the arms control efforts of John Kennedy, Lyndon, uh, John Kennedy, Dick Nixon and Ronald Reagan. The uh, civil rights legislation of the 1960s, which was as much a Republican victory as it was a Democratic victory. Uh, and today, I would uh, argue that there are bipartisan things significantly happening, uh, sort of below the radar. In the last four months, we had a semiconductor competing with china bill that was passed by both parties we had support for nato expansion and ukraine aid supported by both parties we had uh, a, a veterans care reform very significant supported by both parties and we've had uh, a gun safety bill that was controversial from any perspective but it did get passed by both parties now, so i think it's the rhetoric that needs to change perhaps and I think that no party has a monopoly on hypocrisy, failure, or um, uh, mistakes. But in the end, I think we have to look for ways when, and it's not often, when liberals and conservatives can get together and do great things that are not, that are not liberal or conservative. And my book tells the story of several examples of that. The Americans with uh, Disabilities Act is a great example of that. Orrin Hatch I, I, saved yeah, that. Go ahead. And yes. he never gets credit for it.
1: Yeah. I just want to ask though, um, if you have if you put any stock whatsoever in the idea that there are a lot of people that are part of the swamp and it doesn't matter whether there's a letter after their name, Republican or Democrat, then just because both parties agree doesn't make a policy good. Um, if both parties agree on escalating war, which, you know, if you think about the war machine that the left itself used to be highly vocal about, you know, it wasn't just the right that talked about that, but there is indeed an industry for war and both parties seem to benefit from it, Uh, then is bipartisanship towards bad legislation and bad policy such a good thing?
3: Well, then then it can take us into uh, terrible, terrible situations. And it's um, I think that in, I think that uh, the American people should be rewarding candidates and leaders who don't who not only are capable of tearing down the other side and demonizing the other side. And sometimes that's quite appropriate and healthy. And it'll probably always happen in American politics. But I think we're not. If one something. side we're gets me-
1: censored, it won't. Not if one side gets shut down completely. But that's you know I have to just throw that in there. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupted.
3: Well, and, and there are also issues that you'll. I don't think you'll ever get much of the middle or you'll significant uh, portions of either side to agree on. I think abortion is a perfect example of that. I don't see any hope of a large national consensus you know, beyond what the polls identify as kind of a middle, middle ground, but, but you're never going to convince people on the far end of either side that the other side isn't sort of demonic or, or murderous. And that's a terrible tragedy. I think we have to look at these things a bit mm. more clinically and um un, and unemotionally. And I don't think, you know, in the end, I personally don't think that there are many Americans, I'm talking about rank and file Americans, not the swamp, not our leaders. Right. I think you have a very good data. Uh. But I don't think that many of the three hundred million <laughs> Americans <laughs> are are truly demonic, worthy only of worthy of only of being slaughtered politically or otherwise oh. because they oh. disagree with me. I'm wrong a lot of the times. <laughs> and they and you know they the people I disagree with may be coming. Here's the big secret of my book. Orrin Hatch, according to a fellow Mormon senator, told me, the secret behind Orrin Hatch, and he, like this is the rosebud moment of my book. I'll, I'll give it uh-huh. to you. Now.
1: You're giving it away right is. now. <laughs> yeah
3: for, <laughs> for free. Uh, <laughs> but you should still buy my book my, my book, Titan of the Senate, Titan of the uh-huh. Senate. But he said the secret of Orrin Hatch is he saw the nobility in his opponents. He perceived his opponents as being noble. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I've never heard of that before. And and maybe if we sometimes can open our mind to that idea that maybe
1: it was maybe a there's, time, there's, there's
3: a ray of light. We can look at things in a new way. It was a different, a different time.
1: When you've got a party that believes in sex change operations for nine-year-olds and uh, calling its political opponents – uh, Semi fascists and a threat to democracy, and that it's okay to shut them down and and shut them away in uh, uh, solitary confinement for political and religious reasons. You've kind of gone over the Rubicon, you know. And so I think yeah. mm-hmm. you know th- th- these tactics are being done on purpose, deliberately to divide us. And so you make ultimately a wonderful point i just would wonder if it's possible under the current uh climate which in which one side is getting literally shut down and censorship is used uh you know and everything is so weaponized including discussions that used to be reasonable people can disagree go ahead
3: yeah it's a it's a tough terrible environment in many ways but the beauty of the sentence you just uh, led off with is that you said the party supports sex change operations for nine-year-olds i don't think that democrats support that meaning the people who vote democratic throughout our country the people who you know the moms and dads and i I don't Mm. think in the end they believe. I think it's party uh, extremists or party we'll leaders have to who leave make it
1: there. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, because uh, in fact, the radical left controls the Democrat Party today, I believe. But how can people get your book, uh, The Titan of the Senate, Orrin Hatch, and the Once and Future Golden Age of bipartisanship?
3: Thank you. Titan is available anywhere. You usually get books, and it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much.
1: It is so uh, – I'm so sorry I didn't get to talk to you about your HBO experience. We'll have to have you back so we can talk about that as well. That about does it for this edition of Spouting Off. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for everyone, to everyone who makes it possible, and tune in again to Spouting Off.